On today's episode of the show, I share a little bit of news that we have around this podcast. I won't say more than that right now. And then we dive into a segment of Ask Rachel. So I answer some questions really centered around pregnancy and birth in today's episode of the show. I cry quite a bit today as I talk about some unprocessed grief that I have around my first birth. And I share intimately what I'm hoping for and planning for and dreaming of when it comes to this pregnancy and the labor of this little one that's coming up in about six months. So we're talking about wild pregnancies today and unassisted births and lots of gooey, delicious stuff. It's a fun episode, I think. Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years, and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy, and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned, and you'll be left feeling silky, soft, and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with our signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's time for a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. I really wanted to say that. I really wanted to start the episode off by saying the title of the show because it might be one of the last times you hear it. What? (laughs) The suspense. So I have some news that I'm really excited to share. I feel like I've sat down here to record this show every single time over the past few weeks. I'm like, I have some some news, something new is happening. (laughs) Um, But I do have some news that really relate to this show, and I'm really excited to share them with you here on the podcast first before I share anywhere else. So this pod is going to go through a little bit of a rebranding, which I am very nervous about, (laughs) very excited about. Um, I feel like the time is right. I've been thinking about this for a long time and I'm ready. So this pod, you know, many of you have been listening since day one, which I so absolutely adore and love and appreciate. Some of you found your way here just a little bit ago. Maybe you've been here for a while But I started this podcast five and a half years ago, over five and a half years ago. And I had this idea, this feeling that 
podcasting would be really good. <laughs> like it would be something that would come naturally to me. You know, I love storytelling. I um, I love speaking. <laughs> kind of hard to shut me up. I talk all the time. Um, but I love the format of sharing in this way so very much. And when I started the show, of course, I named the podcast, the Yoga Girl podcast. It made so much sense. My brand is Yoga Girl. Um, Yoga Girl is my, all of my social media. It's my company. It's my trademark. It's um, the platform that I've built. It's this community that I've built. Everything that I do under the sun that relates to, to the work I do just made sense for that to fall under Yoga Girl. And this was almost six years ago. My life was fairly different back then. Um, I was definitely living and breathing yoga in a different way, in a much more integrated way than I am today. When I recorded the very first episode of this pod, my daughter Leia, she was one week old. And I was living this life where yoga had been my everything, was my passion, was my lifestyle, was this thing that I loved, the thing that kept me centered and kept me afloat every day. It was also my work, became my career. As a teacher, it was what I was doing with most of my time. I was always teaching, leading retreats or leading teacher trainings or teaching classes, regular classes at our studio or you know, yoga really was the beginning and ending of my of my day. And as my life has progressed and evolved over the past couple of years, especially the years following the pandemic, so the more recent, like past two years, I have found myself just evolving a little bit beyond yoga as the center of my life. Yoga is still a huge part of my life. It's always going to be. I can't imagine ever living a life where yoga is not a hugely important part of my self-care, um, where I'm not on the mat. But I'm barely teaching anymore. We have moved away from the studio. I don't have that day-to-day -day teaching all the time. The pandemic put an end to the retreats and the trainings and everything that, that we were doing. I don't have this longing anymore to teach at festivals and to travel the world teaching yoga, which was so exciting for me for a long time. I don't feel passionate about that anymore. The pandemic really changed a lot for me and also brought with it for me different kinds of self-care practices that, strangely, I never thought that would be possible, became as important to me as my yoga practice. And I found myself all of a sudden meditating in a different way. I found myself relating with nature in a way that I hadn't before. Um, I found tea, which completely changed my life. Um, big part of my spiritual practice these days is spending time in the woods, bringing my basket with me as I go forage for, for plants outside. Like I have a very different lifestyle these days where I'm not waking up thinking about the next class I'm going to teach, you know, or the next retreat that's coming up or how I'm going to sequence this class or I, I, I'm not there anymore. Yet, of course, this podcast has remained the Yoga Girl podcast because Yoga Girl is still very much the center of my life and my brand. And it's part of my identity in a way. It's been part of my my face outward to the world. A lot of people, most people, I think, know me as Yoga Girl. And it was about when we moved to Sweden, so about a year ago, it's almost exactly a year ago, 
that we moved to Sweden, that I started thinking for the first time really in a big way. Maybe it's time that I transition a few of the things that I do away from the yoga girl name. Um, a few of the things that I do in my day-to-day that don't relate to yoga really at all anymore. And when I think about that, the podcast is the first thing that comes to mind. This podcast isn't a podcast about yoga. It's a podcast about my life, right? It's a podcast about healing. It's a podcast about motherhood. It's a podcast centered around storytelling where I share my pain and my learnings and wisdom and struggles and everyday vulnerable stuff with you. And although yoga girl, you know, as in that's me in a way, um, is still a part of that, the practice of yoga is not. I can't remember the last time I sat down to record an episode and I talked about yoga. Um, In the beginning, I did, you know, I really, I think that's really how I planned out this podcast. I would answer questions around teaching yoga and how to begin a yoga practice and maybe break down certain things. I thought I would get really granular that this pod would become very, very yoga centered. But quickly, it became more of a storytelling pod where I sit down here every week and I just speak and I see what comes. And since my day-to-day isn't centered around yoga anymore, I very rarely speak about the yoga practice here on the podcast. So it's been about a year thinking about this, talking about this, you know, talking with my team also. You know, we have the Yoga Girl Company exists in several countries. We have a lot of different things that we do. We're a small team now. We used to be a lot bigger pre-pandemic. It definitely looked different. But in many ways, we are focused on fewer things now. And I am focused on fewer things. I'm not working at the same capacity. And I know in my core, if I were to pick just very few things, if I were to pick one thing, yeah, if I were to pick one thing when it comes to work or what I do in my day to day that I want to continue in the future, it's this podcast. Like this is where I am most passionate This is the format that feels the most natural for me to move forward. And I couldn't imagine letting go of the pod ever. I could imagine letting go of social media. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. I already have in so many ways let go of teaching and not forever. I'm not looking at it like that. It's just I'm in a stage in my life where my passion isn't there anymore. And instead of forcing that and pushing that. I'm just a lot letting that to be a little bit. And I still, I have this idea that, well, when we do teacher trainings again, like eventually, like, of course, it's not like I taught my last retreat or my last group. Like that feels very strange because I love teaching, but the timing just isn't now. And now I'm sitting here pregnant. (laughs) I was actually, I was talking to a hotel all throughout this year about putting on a retreat here in Sweden. I wanted to do a wilderness retreat in Sweden. I was so excited about it. I hadn't committed to a date yet, but I was thinking maybe like end of summer 2023, we would do a Swedish retreat, a really intimate one, and just have that kind of be my journey back into into groups and into retreats. And then I got pregnant. And now, you know, end of summer 2023, I'm going to have a newborn. (laughs) So it's just timing's not here. It's not the right now. And I'm flowing with that. 
And what it means is that I arrived a little while ago at that deep integrated decision of it's time we change the name of this podcast. <laughs> Even saying that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I feel a little bit of panic inside. I feel very nervous. I'm not letting go of Yoga Girl as a brand or a company or a name. Like I still, all of that is continuing and moving forward. And we have yogagirl.com, which is where I spend a ton of my time in my day-to-day -day work. And we have a huge community over there. All of that is continuing. I'm not letting go of that. But it's beginning to make sense for this podcast that isn't centered around yoga to have a name that doesn't relate to yoga. And that's what we're going to do. And when I was thinking about this, but what on earth would I name the podcast? Well, it clicked right away. Because this podcast isn't just the Yoga Girl podcast, although a lot of us refer to the pod just like, do you listen to the Yoga Girl podcast? You know, that's kind of, that's kind of it. The name of this show is the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. And what this show really is, truly at its core, is a conversation from the heart. So I'm really excited and happy and nervous to introduce to you <laughs> From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. How does that sound? I haven't even said that out loud many times. I have to try it out. Will you will you like will you do it with me? From the heart with Rachel Brayton. Hmm. Maybe I'll say like, you know, the From the Heart podcast. I don't know. This is From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. From the Heart. I've said that a billion times. Every week, you know, I intro the show. Most of the intros I say, yeah. Welcome to the Yoga Girl Podcast, Conversations from the Heart. And now this show will be From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. So it's not like it's a brand new identity, like it's something super strange that we've never heard before. It's just a little bit more to the point, a little bit more true to the actual content of the show and more genuine for me to where I am in my life right now. Yay! <laughs> How do you feel? I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous about it. I am going to today, I don't know what time you listen to this show. Of course, this show is out every Friday. Today, I am posting on my Instagram two options for the new cover art with a new name of this show. So if you are on Instagram, I would so absolutely love it if you went over to my Instagram account. That's yoga underscore girl, yoga girl on Instagram. Go to my stories and there's going to be a little poll there with the two options for, for the cover art, for the art for this show. You know, that little square box that you click on whenever you listen. I have two options. I love them both equally. I really, really adore them both. I think they're great. I I want you to help me make this make this decision. You pick, okay? So vote for the cover art that you love. And then the plan is that the new year is going to begin with the new name for the pod. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I am so happy to share this. I feel it feels so oh, it's really uh, yeah, time. The time is now. And this might lead to some other changes in my in my life. I don't know. I just feel like this is more me. And I want to thank you for being here and being such a huge part of this show. If you weren't here listening to this right now, I wouldn't be able to do this, literally. It is thanks to you that I get to have this dream job 
of sitting down at my microphone every week and speak from the heart, which is, I think, what I was put on this earth to do, in a sense. So deep breaths. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where Ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Taking a moment to really speak from the heart right now. Today is actually, we have an episode of Ask Rachel. It's time for last week, actually. I try to do one once a month. I love the Ask Rachel segments. You guys, you ask such deep, profound, well-aligned questions. A lot of the questions that I hear that particular week are really resonating with what's happening in my life that particular week. I love how that's really a conversation and it's so true in the moment. And last week was actually supposed to be Ask Rachel, but last week became pregnancy announcement. So we moved it to this week. So I have some questions I'm going to answer from all of you. As usual, I haven't heard them prior to, to, to sitting down to record. And uh, before I dive into that, just sharing a little bit where I am speaking from the heart in this moment. I am sitting here looking out at snow right now. It's more like a thick layer of frost. It's not really like piles of snow. But the lake is beginning to freeze, which is so beautiful. The sun is beginning to set, so we're in the middle of golden hour now. And just so you know, it's 1.59 p.m. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't live this far up north, it's so bizarre. But yeah, it's 1.59 p.m. and it's sunset. <laughs> so the trees outside have this like gorgeous golden hue. The sky is a little bit pink. The sun won't actually set until 3. I think it's around 3 now. But as we are so far up north, it's a very slow sunset. You know, it takes forever for the sun to actually go down. And it's also a very slow sunrise every morning, <laughs> every mid-morning, I guess. And I'm sitting here just holding my hand to my belly. I'm all the time holding my hand to my belly. I feel I'm really in that stage of pregnancy where I'm wanting to and longing to connect more with this baby 
I can't feel any kicking yet. And I so badly want to feel movement. I know he's in there. I'm saying he. It could absolutely, like, I have no idea. Just because Leia is really calling him a him. She's telling everyone she has a baby brother coming. So we're going with that for now. Um, I know he's in there, but I'm at that stage of pregnancy where I feel really great. I'm not nauseous anymore. No headaches, nothing weird. I'm just a little bit tired, but no big deal. I feel almost totally normal, like regular. So some days I'm like, am I really pregnant? Like, am I sure? Obviously, I have a belly, <laughs> but I almost feel more comfortable with the pregnancy symptoms because it's that constant reminder that, yes, I have a baby here. I have a baby in my womb, you know, and now I'm at that stage where I feel really good, but I can't feel the baby kicking yet because he's still too small. He's the size of a lemon. I am just entering week 14 now. So I'm hoping in like a couple weeks, I'll feel those first kicks because then it's a different, it's a different place when you can physically feel your baby moving inside of your womb. You know, then you have that presence. It's that communication, that relationship is building. And now I'm like, I so badly want to, like, I want to know who you are, you know? So I'm always kind of with my hand on my belly, checking in. Hi, are you there? How are you? <laughs> I'm so curious who this little spirit is going to be. And I am feeling just in my heart, I feel very, very grateful. I'm a puddle of gratitude. We are every day driving over to the farm, to our new little farm. <laughs> and when I say farm, you have to, yeah, no, it's, it's a little farm. <laughs> we don't have, it's not like a farm farm, you know, it, it could never be a, like a conventional or a for-profit. I don't think we could ever, I mean, we could tend to ourselves for sure, but we don't have enough land that we could grow like crazy amounts of things. It's like, it's a little farm, but we call it the farm in Swedish. You say in, in gård. Um, and we're driving over there every day to see how like painting is going. Guys are over there painting right now and starting the process of moving slowly just kind of so we don't have to do everything in one day. We're trying to do as much as we can little by little. And going over there every day is such a joy. <laughs> and being pregnant is such a joy. I feel so, I'm really a puddle of gratitude. Dennis came home. He was in Aruba an extra week. He came home last night and we just laid on the couch with him, like with his head next to my belly, just lying there for the longest time. I am, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful right now. That's where I am. Let's dive into our first question of the day. Hi, Rachel. My name is Megan. Um, I'm a longtime fan. I've been following you for a really long time. My question for you, I guess, is just out of curiosity. In therapy this week, I was exploring people who have inspired me, and you are one of those people. And I'm just wondering if your followers, your fans, people who look up to you, inspire you in any ways, and if you could share that. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh, hi, Megan. What a sweet question. The answer to that is absolutely yes. I mean, 100,000% yes. It's in the conversations I get to have with you, with people who follow me online, who write me to share 
their stories. And oftentimes it's triggered from me sharing something that I'm going through and then they resonate because they've had a similar experience or something similar vibrating in their own lives and then they write their story. And then getting to read that and hold that makes me feel not alone every single time. Really, every single time. And that's particularly true for me when I share something challenging or something heavy. An example of that I can give from just right now is last week on the podcast, I shared that I'm pregnant and the joy and excitement of that. And then I talked a little bit about I had a bleeding in early pregnancy and how much that freaked me out, how scared I was, how yeah nervous I immediately became and how, how I don't want to move through pregnancy, keeping that to myself. But it's kind of hard for me to talk about. I don't know if that comes through all the time because I share everything so freely, but there are, of course, things that are harder for me to share and harder for me to really dig into than other things. And pregnancy fear is one of those things. Absolutely. And I know I'm going to get deeper into this as this pregnancy progresses, and I'll share a lot of it on the show. But after that, I had so many people write me with their experience of something that was similar. You know, when I was pregnant, I had a bleeding in this so-and-so week, and here's what that went meant for me, and what I learned was, and someone sent me their picture of their newborn daughter, just sharing that they had a really yeah, scary pregnancy where they had a few things that happened that made them very nervous, and, and here they are now, and every story I get to touch inspires me so 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 much and it's mainly for me that feeling of well it's not just me doing my life over here in a little bubble on my own but every time I'm moving through something whether that's a a big joy or a big sadness there are people out there in the world who are moving through the same kinds of feelings as I am and there's no such thing as weird or abnormal or alone And I feel so inspired hearing about your resilience and strength and the things that you all have moved through in your day to day. So just know, and of course, you know, especially when it comes to DMs on Instagram, I, throughout my day, I'll go in and I'll see what's there. I don't get to every single message. There's always things that I miss. But every day I get to have at least a couple of those moments of like, oh, right, right. Like here we are. And I wouldn't, I don't think I would be on social media, to be honest, if it wasn't for this component of it. I, I, I really need that feedback. I need that, you know, certain people turn their story replies off. You can turn off the option to, you don't have to read your DMs, you don't have to read your comments. And just you can have your online platform be kind of like a megaphone where you're just shouting things or, you know, posting things, but you're not engaging with or reading or taking in the response to that. And I was always one of those people where I'm, I'm, I'm really taking in the response for better and for worse. Sometimes it's for worse because sometimes it's hard to read. Because yes, of course, sometimes that feedback is hard to read or it's really negative or it's, you know, opinions that <laughs> that aren't inspiring for me or lift me up. You know, that's it's hard. But If I didn't read, I wouldn't catch the inspiration that's there either. And I'm not willing to miss out on that. So yeah, thank you for 
sharing with me when you feel inspired by something that you've heard me say or when you resonate with something or when you feel less alone. Because when you share that with me, I immediately get to have that same experience from you sharing your story. And that's the, that's the beauty of this. At least it is for me. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let's take another question. Hi, Rachel. This is Anna from West Virginia. And I, first of all, want to congratulate you on your new baby. Um, I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes because I just finished listening to um, this week's podcast, or I guess last week's, um, regarding your pregnancy. And um, something you mentioned was how this next pregnancy is going to be a, a wild pregnancy, I think you mentioned, and I love that term. And I'm going to cry now probably, <laughs> but how are you dealing with, you know, you mentioned that your first pregnancy with Leah was treated as a, a medical condition, um, and mine was too, and uh, I'm not super planning on having another one, um, but hearing you talk about how your first pregnancy was not wild or treated as a medical, um, you know, medical issue, how... Um, how you want to do things differently. And honestly, I'm feeling a lot of mourning around how my first pregnancy was not, did not go the way I really wanted it to um, and how I was treated like this almost freak show. Um, how are you dealing with, you know, how you're doing things differently now? Do you have regrets? Do you have pain? Do you sit with that mourning? Um, this is something I am working through now. Congrats again. Thanks. Bye. Oh, Anna. Hi. You made, <laughs> I'm almost crying just listening to you share. I, uh, well, first of all, you are so not alone. I know there are so many of us out there who had that experience and who either are mourning that experience or still need to be mourning or, or processing that experience or part of that experience. I, it's very, unfortunately, very common. And I have friends and so many people that I know that had those similar feelings. But since for most of us, that was our first pregnancy, I think we need to give ourselves some grace, first of all, um, it, in our first pregnancy, we have no idea what is happening. We, we, we don't know what we're about to go through. We have no clue what it's actually going to feel like to move through pregnancy. 
we haven't yet. I think many of us, some people, some people, of course, arrive at their first pregnancy and they feel so trusting and they just know and it's easy. For a lot of us, that wasn't the case. And there's a lot of fear and a lot of worry and what's next and what's coming. And especially looking at how we were raised and the stories we were told about pregnancy and about birth. For me, all the stories I heard in my whole entire life leading up to me being pregnant were terrible, terrifying. Birth is an awful thing, awful thing that happens to a woman. Being pregnant is this challenging condition, you know, that that happens to us. And we need all the help we can get. And we need this support from this system or we can't do it. That was kind of the story I was told. I was never the angle that I'm more approaching now of I can do this innately. I know and even innately I know better than any midwife, doctor, medical system. I I was never presented that as an idea or as an option. It was always kind of like we have to surrender ourselves to the system and to the doctors because without them, we're not capable. And I, um, this is probably going to be a long answer because I was a little bit planning a podcast episode around this because I've had so many epiphanies about my first pregnancy now that I am in this pregnancy. You can go back and listen to my birth story. It was the first ever episode recorded on this podcast. I opened and started this podcast with the birth story. And when I'm sharing my birth story with Leah, I sound very calm and empowered because that's how I felt. I I didn't have ever after birth like this idea or, or thought of this was a bad birth or this was a bad pregnancy or something wasn't right or you know I, I look back at that and things went well nothing terrifying or scary happened I didn't need a major medical intervention in many ways you know things kind of kind of worked out the way I wanted them to but and it's a big but and it's a but that I am arriving at now strangely now that I'm pregnant again Things didn't unfold in a way that I deeply inside would have wanted them to. The thing was, I didn't know I had another option. So even though I chose to birth at home, I was already doing the whole pregnancy thing in a way that I felt was as natural as possible and not, you know, (laughs) trying to not do the conventional thing. Um, I still did. I still was forced into this system where from day one, I was at the mercy of what the doctors told me I was supposed to do. So when they told me I need to get my blood drawn, I need to be tested for HIV and hepatitis and all these things, I just I didn't question that. I just did that. When the midwife told me, oh, because of my blood type, I have a rare blood type, I most likely am going to need this injection with this medication right before birth. I was like, okay. (laughs) And and I asked, "What, what kind of medication is that? She couldn't really answer. She couldn't give me a detailed answer. She just said, because of your blood type, it could be very dangerous for future pregnancies if you're not injected with this, with this, um, medicine. And I was like, okay, well, 
that must be right because that's what they're telling me to do. Every single person I met, every person that I met (laughs) throughout my entire pregnancy was against me giving birth at home. Even the midwife I ended up, that ended up supporting me, was kind of on the fence. She doesn't do home births anymore. I don't know if I was her last home birth or she just had a couple after that, but she doesn't do home births anymore. And was kind of tentative because I was overdue and, you know, this is the last week you could, you have to give birth this week, otherwise it's the hospital, it has to be now. And then, well, now you have five days and, oh, three days. And it, all along, it was kind of this fight for me to to do it in the way that I intuitively felt that I wanted to do it. And although I was very anchored in what I wanted, it affected me hugely. And I didn't recognize that until just now. Being in the system from day one, putting myself at the mercy of all of these people, I had already surrendered to, they know more than me. Even though I want a birth at home, they still know better. And I'm going to have to fight my way forward to get my will heard. But I had already sort of told myself that I am not authority here. Authority is these people. Authority is the hospital. Authority is the gynecologist. Authority is all these different midwives that I was rotating through because I didn't get just one. I had to meet different people all the time. Authority is the system. And anything else I want to do is like I'm deviating from it and it's risky and it's harmful and it's wrong. And I had to be told that again and again. I mean, all the way up until I birthed Leia, I was told that I was being stupid, (laughs) that this was dangerous, that this was the wrong thing. And I didn't hear, you know, I didn't hear a single, I didn't have a single experience of walking into a medical practitioner's office and hearing them go, great, okay, you want a birth at home, okay, or just be neutral about it, okay, you've made that choice, okay. Everyone had an opinion and everything was just very, very, very hard. And I, as I've been kind of sitting with the details of Leia's birth, and I get emotional sharing this because I feel very mindful of. I don't want to turn that birth into something bad in my head, right? Like I still, I I feel really, I want when to, I, when I think back on that birth, it's my first birth. I, it's important to me that I, that I hold that in a, in a good light still. So I'm just trying to kind of navigate my inner thoughts and feelings about this in a really careful way. When I look back at that birth, I was not in authority at all, all throughout this. Even though I told myself that, even though I did end up, like I stayed home, you know, I had my birth pole, my acupuncturist came, I had my incense and my candles and my music and I was doing my own thing. But from the moment that, that my midwife came, there was, it was this non-negotiable, I have to be checked. I have to be examined, lie down, do this. And even though it wasn't what I wanted, but I thought I had to succumb to that. Like when you're in labor, you have to be examined all the time, all the time, like every other hour, you know, all the time throughout your entire labor, you have to pause going through these really heavy, difficult waves of 
contractions, you know, instead of going deeper and deeper inside of myself, I was getting pulled out to have to lie down on the bed. And I was home, so it wasn't sterile and scary and fluorescent lighting and strangers coming in and out. I was still in the safety of my own home. But I had to I, I had to do all these things, right? I didn't get to have an uninterrupted, I didn't get to labor the way I my body wanted to labor. And very early on, the midwife said she really recommends that we break the waters. And the kind of the narrative I was told was it's too slow. All throughout the end of pregnancy, it's taking too long. It's taking too long. You're overdue. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, already from like my exact due date, which of course babies are never born on their due date. The whole idea of a due date is so messed up and wrong. And uh, every day that passed, oh, she's taking too long. Another day, well, you need to be induced now. You need to go to the hospital. You need to get these drugs. You need to do this. You need to do this. Every single day, she's taking too long. It's too slow. It's too slow. It's too slow. Although now I know she came at her perfect time. It was not two weeks late. It was her perfect time when she was destined to come. Like she arrived at this like perfect moment when she had planned to arrive. But I was told for those weeks, it's taking too long. It's too slow. And that narrative continued into my active labor that it's too slow. And I think the first time she examined me, I was four centimeters dilated. And that was like immediate and then the, it was like, okay, four, great. Let's keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. And then the next time she examined me, like two hours later, I was still at four. Oh, still at four. Ugh, you know, okay, I'll be back. And you keep going. And then two hours later, still at four. Okay, well, this is really taking too long. Although, <laughs> who decided what, a, what too long is? right? Who decided? Is there a certain amount of hours that you're allowed to labor in before, you know, it, it's completely insane, the idea that that's too long. That's not, it's not like, you know, like it wasn't my time. I was on the system's time, even though I was in my own home. I had a medical midwife who was very kind and very sweet. And I, I, I and you know, Personally, there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. She's super, super sweet, but she's a medical midwife from the system and she brought the system into my home. And according to the system, it had taken too long. I wasn't progressing fast enough. I wasn't dilating fast enough. And she keep she kept telling me this all throughout labor. It's not it's not opening fast enough. You're not opening fast enough. It's taking too long. It's taking too long. And then again and again, examining me still four centimeters, still four centimeters until eventually 18 hours in when I was exhausted, you know, completely, not just physically from the pain of, of going through labor, but mentally, because I really felt like something's wrong with me. I, I'm too slow, right? I'm not, I'm not doing this in the right way. It's not happening in the right time. It's taking too long. Something is wrong. Although now that I look at it, nothing was wrong, like at all. Nothing was wrong with my body. Nothing was wrong with my baby. Nothing was wrong with how I labored at all. And this makes me just very, very sad to have to, yeah, to have to digest. And I haven't 
process this. I didn't even know I had sadness about this. I had no idea I had something to grieve about my labor because I look at my labor like everything went so well, right? Everything was great. It was still a vaginal birth. It was still unmedicated. It was still so great. But like it it wasn't that, right? And the fact that at some point I lost complete faith in myself, I lost faith in my body, I lost trust in my own ability, I lost my whole sense of power, right? And it came not, it wasn't her fault, I guess, a person, I'm not saying it's it's so, but it's because of the system, because the system has its way. The system decides you can't be to overdo, because if you are, you have to go into the hospital. You need Pitocin to start your labor forcefully. And everybody knows that every medical intervention that you end up having at a hospital increases the risk of you needing another medical intervention, which increases the risk of you needing a C-section. Like all of these things connect. And that's why I didn't want to be at the hospital. I wanted it not, not to prove that I am you know, it was really from a feeling of safety for me. I wanted to be home. I really didn't want to have that medical experience, but I ended up bringing the system into my home. So I had that experience, not fully, but in a way, anyway, until I, I really felt convinced I can't. It's taking too slow. I'm not dilating. Something is wrong, although nothing was wrong. And now I'm, lo- I'm looking back at it. I feel very, very convinced that if I would have been more undisturbed, right, if I would have had a midwife present who was there to intervene if something went wrong, right, to be there if I asked for help, to be there if I felt inside of myself, whoa, I need something now. If I hadn't had those nine months leading up to labor being told that I was wrong, I was not in charge, I was not in the know, I cannot trust my body, Things are going too slowly. Like if I didn't have those things told to me again and again and again by people I put in authority, I would have had a very different experience. I'm certain of it. And I'm also certain of it that at the time of in labor, when everything got so overwhelming and intense and hard, if I wasn't told, you're not progressing, right? If I had supportive a supportive narrative there instead of a narrative that told me that I can't, I'm really certain that Leia would have been born at home the way I wanted it. But instead, that really heavy time came. She examined me yet again, oh, still just four centimeters. And I really felt like something inside of me just broke. And I said to Dennis, I can't do it. I need to go to the hospital. I can't, I can't do it. I really can't. And I kind of told myself that for me, surrendering to going to the hospital was a huge letting go, right? I let go of control. I let go of the idea that I have to do it on my own. But actually, it was me surrendering to the system, me surrendering to the narrative that I can't do it, which was completely untrue. And, you know, of course, labor completely stopped and stalled. We got in the car, everything stopped. I was taken out of that safe cocoon of that environment. Everything stopped, like labor just completely paused from driving in the car and checking into the hospital and getting a room and doing all these things. And then when eventually things started again, not like labor labor stopped, labor doesn't stop, but contractions slowed. And then when contractions started again, 
immediately, like 30 minutes later, like, oh, I was nine centimeters dilated all of a sudden. I'm like, how, how the hell did that happen? If everything is too slow, this idea that your cervix dilating is linear, like if you open four centimeters in two hours, that means in four hours you should be eight. Like that's not true. And I think any midwife, any birth worker can tell you that, that the cervix doesn't dilate in a linear way. Like you can be, things can be very quiet. You can be at four centimeters for 18 hours and then go to nine and 30 minutes. Like that is very calm. It happens all the time. And I just feel like that option was sort of taken away from me or I gave that option up the moment I decided that I can't do it on my own. The moment I said, I need all these ultrasounds, I need all of this stuff that they tell me I have to do, I need, they need to come in here and measure my belly, and they were trying to convince us to do these special tests for Down syndrome, and all the things that like, even though there's no reason we have, there's no, there's nothing wrong with me, right? The way there is nothing wrong with the majority of people who give birth, but we're told that this is so risky, this is so dangerous, this is so terrible, this is so hard. And of course, we're all terrified, especially doing it for the first time, that of course we surrender. And I just don't want to do that again. I don't want to have that experience again. I don't want to end up there. So I decided this time around, I'm just going to do it differently from the start, right? I'm not going to, because it's very, very hard to be in the system and then at the very end decide, no, I'm going to do this at home by myself. <laughs> because it really means that you had those nine months conditioned into one kind of thinking that goes against the thing you want to end with, right? At least that's that's my experience. So I am not, I, I am not in the system. <laughs> Sweden, the Swedish healthcare system, they don't know that I'm pregnant. I am not getting any uh, texts or letters or calls for my next appointments because I don't have any appointments and I'm not going to I'm not going to go to any <laughs> and to saying that I know I am there's probably going to be people out there that are super triggered by this and that's okay you know I'm allowed to make my own choices for me and me feeling this way about the medical system doesn't mean that everybody has to feel that way or that that's the case for everybody um, what this really is about is each of us getting to choose for ourselves. And it's so hard to choose for yourself when you're put in a system where there is only one way, right? They kind of pretend like there's options for you, but there's really only one way. And when I decided I don't want to do all these appointments, I had to do a lot of research, of course. Like when I went to all those, like, I don't know how many freaking ultrasounds I had, felt like way too many. Like, what am I opting out of? What is the real reason for all of these ultrasounds? Um, and if I want one, or if I want some, which ones would I want and why? If at any point in this pregnancy, I feel like something's wrong, or I'm feeling unwell, or all of a sudden I want help, then I will ask for that help. And then I can, anytime, I can call any clinic and make an appointment for myself and go. And that's also the beauty of, of Sweden is like universal healthcare. Um, just the same way that for any reason at any time, if I felt like I needed medical support, like I can go ask for that and receive that help. 
instead of putting myself in a place where I'm kind of saying like, I, can't, I need all of this support all the time. I need to do everything the system tells me to do. I'm just going to be very selective about what I want. And so far, what that looks like, probably I haven't decided maybe we're going to do the 18-week ultrasound to find out the sex of the baby. Dennis really wants to know. I'm in that place where I I would rather opt out of all the ultrasounds entirely. But he really, 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 really wants to know. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious. It's not like I would turn it down. It's not like I would go and then don't tell me about it. You know, like I'm a little curious, but I could do without. But it sounds like um, that's, yeah, that's what it feels like anyway, that, that we're going to do the 18 week, kind of the halfway point ultrasound. And that is also the ultrasound where they determine the location of the placenta, which is important, is extremely rare, right? Super, super crazy rare. But there are conditions and moments where the placenta blocks the pathway of the baby um, and certain things that, that could be good to know. Um, and I'm going to decide that that week, just like, how am I feeling that week? Does this feel like something I want to do or not? Does it feel necessary or not? And if it doesn't, and then we won't go. And if it does, we might have that ultrasound. But aside from that, I'm not, <laughs> I haven't had my blood drawn. <laughs> no one has poked and prodded at me. Um, no one has told me, um, yeah, that I'm insane for wanting to birth at home no one's giving me weird looks or judgments. No one has treated me like I'm sick, like I have a medical condition. Yeah, I'm just not doing that. <laughs> and um, when it comes to the actual birth and labor, I also haven't decided what I want. A big part of me just wants to be alone at home, uh, which is actually like when I was remembering and thinking back at it, it's actually what I wanted with Leia. I wanted an unassisted childbirth at home. I read that book, I think it's called Unassisted Childbirth, and I really, and, and I saw a video, I saw a birth video, this gorgeous, beautiful birth video that I can't find, I, I looked for it for years, um, of a woman just giving birth alone, um, laboring alone, she's in this dark room, it's filled with candles, she's wearing a white dress with like long black hair, and uh, it's just this, this stack, it's like a GoPro or something put up on a shelf, and it's just her for like 45 minutes, she's walking back and forth in this room, breathing, laboring, breathing, laboring, completely on her own. And then at a certain point, she like walks over to a door and she like knocks on the door or opens the door. I can't remember. And then her guy comes in and she like bears down and she births the baby. And then they sit there holding each other. And it's like, I could cry thinking about that birth video because it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it was one of the first birth videos I ever saw. And that's what I wanted with Leia. Like, that's what I envisioned with Leia. That was my whole beginning. It's like, I want to do this on my own. I want to do it this way. But then, of course, we, we were so excited to go to the midwife. We were so excited to do the ultrasound, to see our baby, to get the little photo, to see your baby moving and wiggling in there, to hear the heartbeat. I mean, all of that is so, so special. There was no thought in my head that I would opt out of that at all. But I also didn't know what I was kind of giving up by doing that. And I think once you have birthed once, and probably if it's your third or fourth or fifth, it's 
much easier that you can opt in and still feel very anchored in what you want for your labor. But for me, as of giving birth for the first time, and also this time, I know it would be too challenging for me. So I decided to just, I'm not gonna, not gonna give my authority away. And if I feel at any point like I need help, yes. And I'm also not an idiot. Like when it comes to giving birth, if at any point something doesn't feel right, like I would go to the hospital. I'm not adamant about not ever having medical support. I just feel like I I would want that in case I would need it rather than treating the whole pregnancy as if it's a medical event and you need that medical intervention every step of the way, which most likely will lead to a medical birth. So I haven't decided if for the actual birth I want a midwife or no. I am doing my research now. I've spoken to one woman who is a completely hands-off um, her MO is like, I'll wait in the car or in another room and I'm just like in the house or in the proximity. And if at any point the laboring mother needs me or wants me, then I step in, but I don't interfere. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like that sounds like a dream. But then again, <sighs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Now, of course, all of this I'm sharing, this is just my own process and my own dreams. And who knows, like, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, we could end up in a crazy birth at the hospital with everything upside down and opposite from what I wanted. Like, you can't ever decide the birth you want, but you can plan for it and you can wish for it and you can set the tone for it. And that's what I'm, what I'm doing now. And I feel already stronger in this pregnancy. I feel safer I feel more trust in my own body that this is not something that I need the medical system or a doctor to do for me, but I know how to do it. I knew with Leia too, I just gave my power away too much. So this became a long answer. I knew it would be, but I, I feel your grief and I am grieving too. I really am. And I know there's so many people out there who have had extremely traumatic births, like my birth was not traumatic, and you are grieving too. There's so much more grief there and, and feelings to process. And, and I think what's important is that we allow ourselves that space so that we can start to heal those experiences and then talk about them in a different way. Because I think when I've been talking about Leia's birth, it's like everything was great. It was great. It was great. But like actually wasn't what I wanted. But I felt it was so important for me to keep that idea there so that I wouldn't crumble because it's so heartbreaking that I actually felt completely powerless. And now in this pregnancy, finally, I get to mourn that. I get to grieve that. And it also feels really beautiful, like something is breaking down you know, and kind of something new gets to literally come through. So yeah, I have a feeling we're going to talk about this <laughs> more <laughs> in coming episodes of the show, of course. But thank you so much for sharing. And I feel you and I hear you and I see you.
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Let's take one more question. Hi, Mama Rachel. My name is Caroline. I live in Chandler, Arizona, and I've been, I don't really like to say following because it sounds weird, but I've been loving you from afar for, gosh, close to nine or ten years now. And first of all, I just want to say congratulations on the baby. I'm so, so unbelievably happy for you and your family. Yeah. So my question is, um, how did you get over any fear of childbirth, if you ever had that? My husband and I are contemplating getting pregnant, and it's, you know, a faraway idea, but it just, it scares the shit out of me. So I was just wondering how you've moved through that, if that's something that you've gone through as well, but maybe not because I know you're very brave. (laughs) I love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, hi. I knew we would have a lot of baby (laughs) and birth and pregnancy questions today. Uh, So yeah, fear around childbirth. Um, I think something that I really recommend is to to do the best you can or to do your best to try to change the preconditioned stuff that you have inside of you from listening to terrifying things about birth all your life. Because it's very heavy. It's very strong. We see it in movies. We read it in books. We hear it from our parents and from people. And it's Oh, I, for me, my, my mom gave birth four times. Each birth was traumatic in a different way. And I think there's, there was still so much shock and so much unprocessed trauma in those births that it was really unconsciously passed on to me. And I had just heard so many of these stories of these terrible births and it was terrible when I was born and it was terrible when my brother was born. He almost died and all these things that didn't go the way they were supposed to go and this complete feeling of powerlessness and fear and terror and yeah, just a lot of heavy stuff. And that was all inside of me uh, when I became pregnant, even though I, I, I didn't used to think about birth a lot. I wasn't one of those people who was thinking about birth before being pregnant, like, oh, I'm so scared. But it, it all dawned on me or kind of came to surface when I became pregnant, of course. And what I tried to do as much as I could is, is to take in different kinds of information. So the moment I became pregnant, and you can start doing this now, like everyone listening who has these feelings can start doing this now, is to start researching and looking up and watching videos and reading stories about births that weren't 
terrible, that weren't terrifying, that weren't filled with terror and fear and panic. There are so many of those gorgeous stories out there. It's just they don't take up as much space, right? Like as a society, we love to dramatize things. We, you know, we're attracted to terrible stuff happening and, you know, scary stories. They spread quicker than really positive ones. And there are so many amazing accounts you can follow on social media and online that just share because you can share birth now on Instagram. Thank God. And I'm doing this with Leia. <laughs> I want her there for the birth. So we are watching tons of birth videos together. <laughs> A lot of them on Instagram, on, on social media, just that I that I find. Because I want her to have, first of all, an idea of what birth is. Because it's very hard to explain just in words to a five-year-old. I don't want her to grow up and become a woman who's you know ready to be a mother and then not have any, any idea at all, which is kind of a little bit where I was. I didn't know much about what actually happened during birth. I just knew it was terrible and horrible and you might die. <laughs> I don't want her to have that experience. I also don't want to tell her that this is easy and super, you know, not a big deal and doesn't hurt. No, like I just want her to to have the reality of what birth is and what birth can be. But instead of feeding that scary, scary narrative, I'm feeding a more positive, neutral one. And it's really helpful for me. That's what I do. Instead of scrolling now, <laughs> I have a few accounts that I like on Instagram and I just look at birth videos. I love the long ones where it's not just like, you know, 30 second ones and here's a baby and they're out, but like really long ones where you get to be there with a mother birthing and the the breaths and the quiet in between and the roars and the fierceness and you know, the voice being heard and like all the different variations of, but each of them safe, right? Each of them leading to a baby being born, mother and baby okay, you know, like having that good, solid, beautiful ending that majority, you know, it's statistically proven that home births are safer than hospital births. Like that's, that's true. I talked about this with this midwife I just met with this week as well, or the midwife I'm researching for to potentially have during my own, during this labor. So if you are uninterrupted and your body gets to do its thing, and instead of thinking, how many things am I going to need as an intervention when everything goes wrong because I can't do it and this is something terrible that's unfolding, I'm trying to approach it as this is something that our bodies know how to do. I mean, literally, we wouldn't have a population on this earth if that wasn't the case. It's something every mammal on this earth knows how to do innately. And I think there is this primal side inside of us that we don't have to logically talk ourselves through it, but the body knows. So I'm approaching this from how can I be as undisturbed as possible? How can I scale all the other stuff away so I can get really close to my body's wisdom, to my own inner wisdom, where it's me and baby doing this. It's not doctor and baby, gynecologist and baby, hospital and baby. It's me and baby. And I'm in charge. And actually, I am powerful and I have control. And I know, like there's a knowing there inside. And every birth video that is healing and beautiful and positive that I watch bring me closer to that knowing. And of course, every terrible story that I hear bring me further away. 
So I also ask people whenever someone kind of launches into telling a story about birth, I just pause and I say, if this is if this is a negative birth story, I don't want it. You know, I don't need to hear any more of that. Like, I, I just don't want it in my space at all because um, it helps me stay really anchored in what I want and to envision the birth that I hope I'm going to have with this little one. So I think a big part of this is recognizing that that fear, it's not only yours. You know, it's been passed down to you from other people. It's been created by other people's narratives for, you know, a long time since you were born. You've heard so much of that. And the only way to undo it is to begin introducing a different kind of story and to expose yourselves to a different kind of message and a different image of what birth actually is. There's a podcast that I also listen to a lot like called Free Birth Society. And it's basically just a podcast filled with birth stories of women who birth at home. It's just not just at home, but unmedicated births, unattended births, most of them. And they're all very different, just in how their their stories are told and the way that every birth is completely different. Just every experience of listening to every episode is lingers differently in me. But there's a one story in there that I listened to this week of this this woman who ended up, she wanted to have her sister there. Her sister couldn't be there. She ended up birthing in her garden alone. She didn't have, the father of the baby wasn't involved. And she didn't have an experience of pain. <laughs> and this is something that like when you hear it, it could be very triggering. You know, it's like very, very frustrating. And I know anyone who's been through labor, that was painful. Like my hand is very raised right now. Someone telling you like, oh, well, I orgasmed during birth or my labor didn't even hurt. Like that can be very triggering, right? But it exists. It's real. Those stories are there just as much as those terrible horror stories where everything goes, everything goes terribly wrong. The same way those stories exist, those really positive ones, those dreamy births that sound like a fairy tale where literally it doesn't hurt that much. And literally, women orgasm giving birth, like all of that is possible. It exists on the spectrum of birth. And I think we have to just widen our idea of what birth can be. It doesn't have to be this one terrifying thing. And when I look back at my birth with Leia, like it was all of the things. It was pleasurable at times. It was empowering at times. I felt powerless and completely tiny and fragile it hurt more than I knew anything could hurt. And it also wasn't at all what I was expecting. You know, I, I felt all the things there. And I think it's it's a beautiful just beginning toward motherhood to start widening our gaze a little bit of and our idea of what birth is, because birth can be so much. And we also know that motherhood and labor, it's going to trigger old stuff inside of us as well. So any feelings that we might have around not being safe, that the world is not a safe place, that anything around death or loss, like all of that is going to be triggered in pregnancy, in motherhood. It's just part of the healing journey. And it's also the biggest opportunity for healing, I think, in those big moments. I um, didn't know, but I had a all when I was pregnant with Leia, my deep rooted fear of loss 
was so big that there was a part of me that was genuinely surprised when she was born alive. There was a part of me all throughout pregnancy that was expecting her to be stillborn because I had such unprocessed fear of loss and death inside of me and I didn't even know it was there. So having her arrive, you know, she was nine and a half pounds. (laughs) She was two weeks overdue. I say overdue in like air quotes because I don't believe in the idea of overdue. She arrived like (laughs) as if she was about to like crawl away. You know, she was fluffy and thick and pink and she kind of talked the moment she came into the world like she just gave out this sound like she didn't cry she just eyes wide open looking at me she's the most alive newborn I've ever seen in my life and there was a part of me that thought that she wouldn't be and the healing that I experienced in that moment holding my warm alive newborn baby to my chest is yeah maybe the most profound moment of healing I've had in my whole entire life so trust also that the fear that you're experiencing relates to healing on the other side and you're probably asking this question right now because you're ready to begin moving through yeah I think so thank you for asking such a brave question we are out of time my loves (laughs) didn't have time for so many questions today thank you for being here thank you for holding space for me as I share and process my own grief and yeah thanks for being here walking this journey with me side by side I really really appreciate your presence I uh, will see you next week of course Um, (laughs) who knows what next week will bring. I promise you, I'm going to tell you the story about the house. Okay. And, um, I hope you have a really, really beautiful week wherever you are, whatever you're moving through. I hope you are. I hope you feel grounded and held and safe in this moment. And if not, that you have the tools to check in and ask yourself what you need so you can go give yourself just that. I love you and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio and I'll see you next week.